Chapter 11 Veni, Vidi, Vici You can't be serious about this schedule of battles. Yes, I can. He's only had his army three and a half weeks. I told you, we did computer simulations on probable results, and here is what the computer estimated Ender would do. We want to teach him, not give him a nervous breakdown. The computer knows him better than we do. The computer is also not famous for having mercy. If you wanted to be merciful, you should have gone to a monastery. Ah, uh, you mean this isn't a monastery? This is best for Ender, too. We're bringing him to his full potential. I thought we'd give him two years as a commander. We usually give them a battle every two weeks, starting after three months. This is a little extreme. Do we have two years to spare? I know. I just have this picture of Ender a year from now, completely useless, worn out, because he was pushed farther than he or any living person can go. We told the computer that our highest priority was having the subject remain useful after the training program. Oh, well, as long as he's useful. Look, Colonel Graf, you're the one who made me prepare this over my protests, if you'll remember. I know, you're right. I shouldn't burden you with my conscience. But my eagerness to sacrifice little children in order to save mankind is wearing thin. The Polemarch has been to see the hegemon. It seems Russian intelligence is concerned that some of the active citizens on the nets are already figuring out how America ought to use the IF to destroy the Warsaw Pact as soon as the buggers are destroyed. That seems premature. It seems insane. Free speech is one thing. But to jeopardize the League over nationalistic rivalries, and it's for people like that, short-sighted, suicidal people, that were pushing Ender to the edge of human endurance. I think you underestimate Ender. But I fear that I also underestimate the stupidity of the rest of mankind. Are we absolutely sure that we ought to win this war? Sir, those words sound like treason. It was black humor. It wasn't funny. When it comes to the buggers, nothing is... Nothing is funny, I know. Ender Wigan lay on his bed staring at the ceiling. Since becoming commander, he never slept more than five hours a night. But the lights went off at 2200 and didn't come on again until 0600. Sometimes he worked at his desk anyway, straining his eyes to use the dim display. Usually, though, he stared at the invisible ceiling and thought. Either the teachers had been kind to him after all, or he was a better commander than he thought. His ragged little group of veterans, utterly without honor in their previous armies, were blossoming into capable leaders, so much so that instead of the usual four tunes, he had created five, each with a tune leader and a second. Every veteran had a position. He had the army drill in eight-man tune maneuvers and four-man half-tunes, so that at a single command, his army could be assigned as many as ten separate maneuvers and carry them out at once. No army had ever fragmented itself like that before, but Ender was not planning to do anything that had been done before either. Most armies practiced mass maneuvers, performed strategies. Ender had none. Instead, he trained his tune leaders to use their small units effectively in achieving limited goals, unsupported, alone, on their own initiative. He staged mock wars after the first week, savage affairs in the practice room that left everybody exhausted. But he knew, with less than a month of training, that his army had the potential of being the best fighting group ever to play the game. How much of this did the teachers plan? Did they know they were giving him obscure but excellent boys? Did they give him thirty launches, many of them underage, because they knew the little boys were quick learners, quick thinkers? Or was this what any similar group could become under a commander who knew what he wanted his army to do, and knew how to teach them to do it? The question bothered him, because he wasn't sure whether he was confounding or fulfilling their expectations. All he was sure of was that he was eager for battle. Most armies needed three months because they had to memorize dozens of elaborate formations. We're ready now. Get us into battle. The door opened in darkness. 
Ender listened. A shuffling step. The door closed. He rolled off his bunk and crawled in the darkness, the two meters to the door. There was a slip of paper there. He couldn't read it, of course, but he knew what it was. Battle. How kind of them. I wish and they deliver. Ender was already dressed in his Dragon Army flash suit when the lights came on. He ran down the corridor at once, and by 0601 he was at the door of his army's barracks. We have a battle with Rabbit Army at 0700. I want us warmed up in gravity and ready to go. Strip down and get to the gym. Bring your flash suits and we'll go to the battle room from there. What about breakfast? I don't want anybody throwing up in the battle room. Can we at least take a leak first? No more than a deciliter. They laughed. The ones who didn't sleep naked stripped down. Everyone bundled up their flash suits and followed Ender at a jog through the corridors to the gym. He put them through the obstacle course twice, then split them into rotations on the tramp, the mat, and the bench. Don't wear yourselves out, just wake yourselves up. He didn't need to worry about exhaustion. They were in good shape, light and agile, and above all, excited about the battle to come. A few of them spontaneously began to wrestle. The gym, instead of being tedious, was suddenly fun because of the battle to come. Their confidence was the supreme confidence of those who had never been in the contest and think they're ready. Well, why shouldn't they think so? They are, and so am I. At 6.40, he had them dress out. He talked to the toon leaders and their seconds while they dressed. Rabbit Army is mostly veterans, but Karn Carby was made their commander only five months ago, and I never fought them under him. He was a pretty good soldier, and Rabbit has done fairly well in the standings over the years, but I expect to see formations, so I'm not worried. At 6.50, he made them all lie down on the mats and relax. Then, at 6.56, he ordered them up and they jogged along the corridor to the battle room. Ender occasionally leaped up to touch the ceiling. The boys all jumped to touch the same spot on the ceiling. Their ribbon of color led to the left. Rabbit Army had already passed through to the right. And, at 6.58, they reached their gate to the battle room. The tunes lined up in five columns. A and E were ready to grab the side handholds and flip themselves out toward the sides. B and D lined up to catch the two parallel ceiling holds and flip upward into null gravity. C-Tune were ready to slap the sill of the doorway and flip downward. Up, down, left, right. Ender stood at the front, between columns so he'd be out of the way and reoriented them. Which way is the enemy's gate? Down! they all said, laughing. And in that moment, up became north, down became south, and left and right became east and west. The gray wall in front of them disappeared, and the battle room was visible. It wasn't a dark game, but it wasn't a bright one either. The lights were about half, like dusk. In the distance, in the dim light, he could see the enemy door, their lighted flash suits already pouring out. Ender knew a moment's pleasure. Everyone had learned the wrong lesson from Bonesaw's misuse of Ender Wigan. They all dumped through the door immediately so that there was no chance to do anything other than name the formation they would use. Commanders didn't have time to think. Well, Ender would take the time and trust his soldiers' ability to fight with flash legs to keep them intact as they came late through the door. Ender sized up the shape of the battle room the familiar open grid of most early games, like the monkey bars at the park, with seven or eight stars scattered through the grid. There were enough of them, and in forward enough positions, that they were worth going for. Spread to the near stars, Ender said. C, try to slide the wall. If it works, A and E will follow. If it doesn't, I'll decide from there. I'll be with D. Move. All the soldiers knew what was happening, but tactical decisions were entirely up to the toon leaders. Even with Ender's instructions, they were only ten seconds late getting through the gate. Rabbit Army was already doing some elaborate dance down at the end of the room. 
In all the other armies Ender had fought in, he would have been worrying right now about making sure he and his toon were in their proper place in their own formation. Instead, he and all his men were only thinking of ways to slip around past the formation, control the stars in the corners of the room, and then break the enemy formation into meaningless chunks that didn't know what they were doing. Even with less than four weeks together, the way they fought already seemed like the only intelligent way, the only possible way. Ender was almost surprised that Rabbit Army didn't know already that they were hopelessly out of date. Sea tunes slipped along the wall, coasting with their bent knees facing the enemy. Crazy Tom, the leader of Sea Tune, had apparently ordered his men to flash their own legs already. It was a pretty good idea in this dim light, since the lighted flash suits went dark wherever they were frozen. It made them less easily visible. Ender would commend him for that. Rabbit Army was able to drive back Sea Tune's attack but not until Crazy Tom and his boys had carved them up, freezing a dozen rabbits before retreating to the safety of a star. But it was a star behind the rabbit formation, which meant they were going to be easy pickings now. Han Su, commonly called Hot Soup, was the leader of Detune. He slid quickly along the lip of the star to where Ender knelt. How about flipping off the north wall and kneeling on their faces? Do it, Ender said. I'll take B south to get behind them. Then he shouted, A and E, slow on the walls. He slid footward along the star, hooked his feet on the lip, and flipped himself up to the top wall, then rebounded to Etoon's star. In a moment, he was leading them down against the south wall. They rebounded in near-perfect unison and came up behind the two stars that Karn Karbi's soldiers were defending. It was like cutting butter with a hot knife. Rabbit Army was gone, just a little cleanup left to do. Ender broke his tunes up into half-tunes to scour the corners for any enemy soldiers who were whole or merely damaged. In three minutes, his tune leaders reported the room clean. Only one of Ender's boys was completely frozen, one of Seatune, which had borne the brunt of the assault, and only five were disabled. Most were damaged, but those were leg shots, and many of them were self-inflicted. All in all, it had gone even better than Ender expected. Ender had his tune leaders do the honors at the gate, four helmets at the corners, and Crazy Tom to pass through the gate. Most commanders took whoever was left alive to pass the gate. Ender could have picked practically anyone. A good battle. The lights went full, and Major Anderson himself came through the teacher gate at the south end of the battle room. He looked very solemn as he gave Ender the teacher hook that was ritually given to the victor in the game. Ender used it to thaw his own army's flash suits, of course, and he assembled them in tunes before thawing the enemy. Crisp military appearance, that's what he wanted when Carby and Rabbit Army got their bodies under control again. They may curse us and lie about us, but they'll remember that we destroyed them, and no matter what they say, other soldiers and other commanders will see that in their eyes. In those rabbit eyes, they'll see us in neat formation, victorious and almost undamaged in our first battle. Dragon Army isn't going to be an obscure name for long. Karn Karby came to Ender as soon as he was unfrozen. He was a twelve-year-old who apparently made commander only in his last year at the school, so he wasn't cocky like the ones who made it at eleven. I'll remember this when I'm defeated, thought Ender. To keep dignity, to give honor where it's due, so that defeat is not disgrace. And I hope I don't have to do it often. Anderson dismissed Dragon Army last, after Rabbit Army had straggled through the door that Ender's boys had come through. Then Ender led his army through the enemy's door. The light along the bottom of the door reminded them of which way was down once they got back to gravity. They all landed lightly on their feet, running. They assembled in the corridor. It's 7.15, Ender said, and that means you have 15 minutes for breakfast before I see you all in the battle room for the morning practice. He could hear them silently saying, Come on, we won, let us celebrate. 
All right, Ender thought to himself. You may. And you have your commander's permission to throw food at each other during breakfast. They laughed, they cheered, and then he dismissed them and sent them jogging on to the barracks. He caught his toon leaders on the way out and told them that he wouldn't expect anyone to come to practice until 7.45, and that practice would be over early so the boys could shower. Half an hour for breakfast and no shower right after a battle, it was still stingy, but it would look lenient compared to 15 minutes, and Ender liked having the announcement of the extra 15 minutes come from the toon leaders. Let the boys learn that leniency comes from their toon leaders and harshness from their commander. It will bind them better in the small, tight knots of this fabric. Ender ate no breakfast. He wasn't hungry. Instead, he went to the battle room and showered, putting his flash suit in the cleaner so it would be ready when he dried off. He washed himself twice and let the water run and run on him. It would all be recycled. Let everybody drink some of my sweat today. They had given him an untrained army, and he had won not just nip and tuck either. He had won with only six frozen or disabled. Let's see how long other commanders keep using their formations now that they've seen what a flexible strategy can do. He was floating in the middle of the battle room when his soldiers began to arrive. No one spoke to him, of course. He would speak, they knew, when he was ready, and not before. When all were there, Ender hooked himself near them and looked at them one by one. Good first battle, he said, which was enough for a cheer and an attempt to start a chant of Dragon! Dragon! which he quickly stopped. Dragon Army did all right against rabbits, but the enemy isn't always going to be that bad. If that had been a good army, Seatoon, your approach was so slow they would have had you from the flanks before you got into good position. You should have split and angled in from two directions so they couldn't flank you. A and E. Your aim was wretched. The tallies show that you averaged only one hit for every two soldiers. This means most of the hits were made by attacking soldiers close in. That can't go on. A competent enemy would cut up the assault force unless they have much better cover from the soldiers at a distance. I want every tune to work on distance marksmanship at moving and unmoving targets. Half-toons take turns being targets. I'll thaw the flash suits every three minutes. Now move. Will we have any stars to work with? Asked Hot Soup. To steady our aim. I don't want you getting used to having something to steady your arms. If your arm isn't steady, freeze your elbows. Now move. The toon leaders quickly got things going and Ender moved from group to group to make suggestions and help soldiers who are having particular trouble. The soldiers knew by now that Ender could be brutal in the way he talked to groups, but when he worked with an individual he was always patient, explaining as often as necessary, making suggestions quietly, listening to questions and problems and explanations, but he never laughed when they tried to banter with him, and they soon stopped trying. He was commander every moment they were together. He never had to remind them of it. He simply was. They worked all day with a taste of victory in their mouths and cheered again when they broke half an hour early for lunch. Ender held the toon leaders until the regular lunch hour to talk about the tactics they had used and evaluate the work of their individual soldiers. Then he went to his own room and methodically changed into his uniform for lunch. He would enter the commander's mess about ten minutes late, exactly the timing that he wanted. Since this was his first victory, he had never seen the inside of the commander's mess hall and had no idea what new commanders were expected to do. But he did know that he wanted to enter last today when the scores of the morning's battles had already been posted. Dragon Army will not be an obscure name now. There was no great stir when he came in. But when some of them noticed how small he was and saw the dragons on the sleeves of the uniform, they stared at him openly, and by the time he got his food and sat at a table, the room was silent. Ender began to eat, slowly and carefully, pretending not to notice that he was the center of attention. Gradually, conversation and noise started up again, and Ender could relax enough to look around. 
One entire wall of the room was a scoreboard. Soldiers were kept aware of an army's overall record for the past two years. In here, however, records were kept for each commander. A new commander couldn't inherit a good standing from his predecessor. He was ranked according to what he had done. Ender had the best ranking, a perfect one-loss record, of course, but in the other categories he was far ahead. Average soldiers disabled. Average enemy disabled. Average time elapsed before victory. In every category he was ranked first. When he was nearly through eating, someone came up behind him and touched his shoulder. Mind if I sit? Ender didn't have to turn around to know it was Dink Meeker. Ho, oh, Dink, said Ender. Sit. You gold-plated fart, said Dink cheerfully. We're all trying to decide whether your scores up there are a miracle or a mistake. A habit, said Ender. One victory is not a habit, Dink said. Don't get cocky. When you're new, they seed you against weak commanders. Karn Carby isn't exactly on the bottom of the rankings. It was true. Carby was just about in the middle. Ah, he's okay, Dink said, considering that he only just started. He shows some promise. You don't show promise. You show threat. Threat to what? Do they feed you less if I win? I thought you told me this was all a stupid game and none of it mattered. Dink didn't like having his words thrown back at him, not under these circumstances. You were the one who got me playing along with them, but I'm not playing games with you, Ender. You won't beat me. Probably not. I taught you. Everything I know. I'm just playing it by ear right now. Congratulations. It's good to know I have a friend here. But Ender wasn't sure Dink was his friend anymore. Neither was Dink. After a few empty sentences, Dink went back to his table. Ender looked around when he was through with his meal. There were quite a few small conversations going on. Ender spotted Bonso, who was now one of the oldest commanders. Rose the Nose had graduated. Petra was with a group in a far corner, and she didn't look at him once. Since most of the others stole glances at him from time to time, including the ones Petra was talking with, Ender was pretty sure she was deliberately avoiding his glance. That's the problem with winning right from the start, thought Ender. You lose friends. Give them a few weeks to get used to it. By the time I have my next battle, things will have calmed down in here. Karn Carby made a point of coming to greet Ender before the lunch period ended. It was, again, a gracious gesture, and, unlike Dink, Carby did not seem wary. Right now I'm in disgrace, he said frankly. They won't believe me when I tell them you did things nobody's ever seen before. So I hope you beat the snot out of the next army of fight. As a favor to me. As a favor to you, Ender said. And thanks for talking to me. I think they're treating you pretty badly. Usually new commanders are cheered when they first join the mess. But then, usually a new commander has had a few defeats under his belt before he makes it in here. I only got in here a month ago. If anybody deserves a cheer, it's you. But that's life. Make him eat dust. I'll try. Karn Carby left, and Ender mentally added him to his private list of people who also qualified as human beings. That night, Ender slept better than he had in a long time. Slept so well, in fact, that he didn't wake up until the lights came on. He woke up feeling good, jogged on out to take his shower, and did not notice the piece of paper on his floor until he came back and started dressing in his uniform. He only saw the paper because it moved in the wind as he snapped out the uniform to put it on. He picked up the paper and read it. Petra Arcanian, Phoenix Army, 0700 hours. It was his old army, the one he had left less than four weeks before, and he knew their formations backward and forward. Partly because of Ender's influence, they were the most flexible of armies, responding relatively quickly to new situations. Phoenix Army would be the best able to cope with Ender's fluid, unpatterned attack. The teachers were determined to make life interesting for him. Oh, 0700, said the paper, and it was already 6.30. 
Some of his boys might already be heading for breakfast. Ender tossed his uniform aside, grabbed his flash suit, and in a moment stood in the doorway of his army's barracks. Gentlemen, I hope you learned something yesterday, because we're doing it again today. It took a moment for them to realize that he meant a battle, not a practice. It had to be a mistake, they said. Nobody ever had battles two days in a row. He handed the paper to Fly Molo, the leader of Atoon, who immediately shouted, Flash suits! and started changing clothes. Why didn't you tell us earlier? demanded Hot Soup. Hot had a way of asking Ender questions that nobody else dared ask. I thought you needed a shower, Ender said. Yesterday, Rabbit Army claimed we only won because the stink knocked them out. The soldiers who heard him laughed. Huh, you didn't find the paper till you got back from the shower, right? Ender looked for the source of the voice. It was Bean, already in his flash suit, looking insolent. Time to repay old humiliations, is that it, Bean? Of course, Ender said contemptuously. I'm not as close to the floor as you are. More laughter. Bean flushed with anger. It's plain we can't count on old ways of doing things, Ender said. So you'd better plan on battles any time, and often. I can't pretend I like the way they're screwing around with us, but I like one thing. I've got an army that can handle it. After that, if he had asked them to follow him to the moon without spacesuits, they would have done it. Petra was not Karn Carby. She had more flexible patterns and responded much more quickly to Ender's darting, improvised, unpredictable attack. As a result, Ender had three boys flashed and nine disabled at the end of the battle. Petra was not gracious about bowing over his hand at the end, either. The anger in her eyes seemed to say, I was your friend, and you humiliate me like this? Ender pretended not to notice her fury. He figured that after a few more battles, she'd realize that, in fact, she had scored more hits against him than he expected anyone ever would again. And he was still learning from her. In practice today, he would teach his toon leaders how to counter the tricks Petra had played on them. Soon they would be friends again, he hoped. At the end of the week, Dragon Army had fought seven battles in seven days. The score stood seven wins and zero losses. Ender had never had more losses than in the battle with Phoenix Army, and in two battles he had suffered not one soldier frozen or disabled. No one believed anymore that it was a fluke that put him first in the standings. He had beaten top armies by unheard of margins. It was no longer possible for the other commanders to ignore him. A few of them sat with him at every meal, carefully trying to learn from him how he had defeated his most recent opponents. He told them freely, confident that few of them would know how to train their soldiers and their toon leaders to duplicate what his could do. And while Ender talked with a few commanders, much larger groups gathered around the opponents Ender had defeated, trying to find out how Ender might be beaten. There were many, too, who hated him. Hated him for being young, for being excellent, for having made their victories look paltry and weak. Ender saw it first in their faces when he passed them in the corridors. Then he began to notice that some boys would get up in a group and move to another table if he sat near them in the commander's mess. And there began to be elbows that accidentally jostled him in the game room, feet that got entangled with his when he walked into and out of the gym spittle and wads of wet paper that struck him from behind as he jogged through the corridors. They couldn't beat him in the battle room, and they knew it, so instead they would attack him where it was safe, where he was not a giant, but just a little boy. Ender despised them, but secretly, so secretly he didn't even know it himself, he feared them. It was just such little torments that Peter had always used and Ender was beginning to feel far too much at home. These annoyances were petty, though, and Ender persuaded himself to accept them as another form of praise. Already the other armies were beginning to imitate Ender. Now most soldiers attacked with knees tucked under them, formations were breaking up now, and more commanders were sending out tunes to slip along the walls. 
None had caught on yet to Ender's five-tune organization. It gave him the slight advantage that when they had accounted for the movements of four units, they wouldn't be looking for a fifth. Ender was teaching them all about null gravity tactics, but where could Ender go to learn new things? He began to use the video room, filled with propaganda vids about Mazer Rackham and other great commanders of the forces of humanity in the first and second invasion. Ender stopped the general practice an hour early and allowed his toon leaders to conduct their own practice in his absence. Usually they staged skirmishes, toon against toon. Ender stayed long enough to see that things were going well, then left to watch the old battles. Most of the vids were a waste of time, close-ups of commanders and medal-winning soldiers. Confused shots of marines invading bugger installations. But here and there he found useful sequences, ships like points of light maneuvering in the dark of space, or better still, the lights on shipboard plotting screens showing the whole of a battle. It was hard, from the videos, to see all three dimensions, and the scenes were often short and unexplained, but Ender began to see how well the buggers used seemingly random flight paths to create confusion, how they used decoys and false retreats to draw the IF ships into traps. Some battles had been cut into many scenes, which were scattered through the various videos. By watching them in sequence, Ender was able to reconstruct whole battles. He began to see things that the official commentators never mentioned. They were always trying to arouse pride in human accomplishments and loathing of the buggers. But Ender began to wonder how humanity had won at all. Human ships were sluggish. Fleets responded to new circumstances unbearably slowly, while the bugger fleet seemed to act in perfect unity responding to each challenge instantly. Of course, in the first invasion, the human ships were completely unsuited to fast combat, but then so were the bugger ships. It was only in the second invasion that the ships and weapons were swift and deadly, so it was from the buggers, not the humans, that Ender learned strategy. He felt ashamed and afraid of learning from them, since they were the most terrible enemy ugly and murderous and loathsome. But they were also very good at what they did, to a point. They always seemed to follow one basic strategy only, gather the greatest number of ships at the key point of conflict. They never did anything surprising, anything that seemed to show either brilliance or stupidity in a subordinate officer. Discipline was apparently very tight. And there was one oddity. There was plenty of talk about Mazer Rackham, but precious little video of his actual battle. Some scenes from early in the battle, Rackham's tiny force looking pathetic against the vast power of the main bugger fleet. The buggers had already beaten the main human fleet out in the comet shield, wiping out the earliest starships and making a mockery of human attempts at high strategy. That film was often shown to arouse again and again the agony and terror of bugger victory. Then the fleet coming to Maserakum's little force near Saturn, the hopeless odds, then one shot from Maserakum's little cruiser, one enemy ship blowing up. That's all that was ever shown. Lots of film showing marines carving their way into bugger ships. Lots of bugger corpses lying around inside, but no film of buggers killing in personal combat unless it was spliced in from the first invasion. It frustrated Ender that Mazer Rackham's victory was so obviously censored. Students in the battle school had much to learn from Mazer Rackham, and everything about his victory was concealed from view. The passion for secrecy was not very helpful to the children who had to learn to accomplish again what Mazer Rackham had done. Of course, as soon as word got around that Ender Wigan was watching the war vids over and over again, the video room began to draw a crowd. Almost all were commanders, watching the same vids as Ender watched, pretending they understood why he was watching and what he was getting out of it. Ender never explained anything. Even when he showed seven scenes from the same battle, but from different vids, only one boy asked tentatively, Are some of those from the same battle? 
Ender only shrugged, as if it didn't matter. It was during the last hour of practice on the seventh day, only a few hours after Ender's army had won its seventh battle, that Major Anderson himself came into the video room. He handed a slip of paper to one of the commanders sitting there, and then spoke to Ender. Colonel Graf wishes to see you in his office immediately. Ender got up and followed Anderson through the corridors. Anderson palmed the locks that kept students out of the officers' quarters, and finally they came to where Graf had taken root on a swivel chair bolted to the steel floor. His belly spilled over both armrests now, even when he sat upright. Ender tried to remember. Graf hadn't seemed particularly fat at all when Ender first met him, only four years ago. Time and tension were not being kind to the administrator of the battle school. Seven days since your first battle, Ender, said Graf. Ender did not reply. And you've won seven battles, once a day. Ender nodded. Your scores are unusually high, too. Ender blinked. To what, Commander, do you attribute your remarkable success? You gave me an army that does whatever I can think for it to do. And what have you thought for it to do? We orient downward toward the enemy gate and use our lower legs as a shield. We avoid formations and keep our mobility. It helps that I've got five tunes of eight instead of four of ten. Also, our enemies haven't the time to respond effectively to our new techniques, so we keep beating them with the same tricks. That won't hold up for long. So you don't expect to keep winning? Not with the same tricks. Graf nodded. Sit down, Ender. Ender and Anderson both sat. Graf looked at Anderson, and Anderson spoke next. What condition is your army in, fighting so often? They're all veterans now. But how are they doing? Are they tired? If they are, they won't admit it. Are they still alert? You're the ones with the computer games that play with people's minds. You tell me. We know what we know. We want to know what you know. These are very good soldiers, Major Anderson. I'm sure they have limits, but we haven't reached them yet. Some of the newer ones are having trouble because they never really mastered some basic techniques, but they're working hard and improving. What do you want me to say, that they need to rest? Of course they need to rest. They need a couple of weeks off. Their studies are shot to hell. None of us are doing any good in our classes. But you know that, and apparently you don't care. So why should I? Graf and Anderson exchanged glances. Ender, why are you studying the videos of the bugger wars? To learn strategy, of course. Those videos were created for propaganda purposes. All our strategies have been edited out. I know. Graf and Anderson exchanged glances again. Graf drummed on his table. You don't play the fantasy game anymore, he said. Ender didn't answer. Tell me why you don't play it. Because I won. You never win everything in that game. There's always more. I won. Ender, we want to help you be as happy as possible. But if you... You want to make me the best soldier possible. Go down and look at the standings. Look at the all-time standings. So far, you're doing an excellent job with me. Congratulations. Now when are you going to put me up against a good army? Graf's set lips turned to a smile, and he shook a little with silent laughter. Anderson handed Ender a slip of paper. Now, he said. That's ten minutes from now, said Ender. My army will be in the middle of showering up after practice. Graf smiled. You better hurry then, boy. He got to his army's barracks five minutes later. Most were dressing after their showers. Some had already gone to the game room or the video room to wait for lunch. He sent three younger boys to call everyone in and made everyone else dress for battle as quickly as they could. This one's hot and there's no time, Ender said. They gave Bonso notice about 20 minutes ago and by the time we get to the door they'll have been inside for a good five minutes at least. The boys were outraged, complaining loudly in the slang that they usually avoided around the commander. What'd they do to us? They'd be crazy, eh? Forget why. We'll worry about that tonight. Are you tired? 
Fly, Molo answered. We worked our butts off in practice today, not to mention beating the crap out of Ferret Army this morning. Same day nobody ever do two battles, said Crazy Tom. Ender answered in the same tone. Nobody ever beat Dragon Army either. This be our big chance to lose? Ender's taunting question was the answer to their complaints. Win first, ask questions later. All of them were back in the room, and most of them were dressed. Move, shouted Ender, and they ran along behind him, some of them still dressing when they reached the corridor outside the battle room. Many of them were panting, a bad sign. They were too tired for this battle. The door was already open. There were no stars at all, just empty, empty space in a dazzlingly bright room, nowhere to hide, not even in darkness. My heart, said Crazy Tom. They haven't come out yet either. Ender put his hand across his own mouth to tell them to be silent. With the door open, of course the enemy could hear every word they said. Ender pointed all around the door to tell them that Salamander Army was undoubtedly deployed against the wall all around the door, where they couldn't be seen but could easily flash anyone who came out. Ender motioned for them all to back away from the door. Then he pulled forward a few of the taller boys, including Crazy Tom, and made them kneel, not squatting back to sit on their heels, but fully upright so they formed an L with their bodies. He flashed them. In silence, the army watched him. He selected the smallest boy, Bean, handed him Tom's gun and made Bean kneel on Tom's frozen legs. Then he pulled Bean's hands, each holding a gun, through Tom's armpits. Now the boys understood. Tom was a shield, an armored spacecraft, and Bean was hiding inside. He was certainly not invulnerable, but he would have time. Ender assigned two more boys to throw Tom and Bean through the door, but signaled them to wait. He went on through the army, quickly assigning groups of four, a shield, a shooter, and two throwers. Then, when all were frozen or armed or ready to throw, he signaled the throwers to pick up their burdens, throw them through the door, and then jump through themselves. Move! shouted Ender. They moved. Two at a time, the shield pairs went through the door, backwards so that the shield would be between the shooter and the enemy. The enemy opened fire at once, but they mostly hit the frozen boy in front. In the meantime, with two guns to work with and their targets neatly lined up and spread flat along the wall, the dragons had an easy time of it. It was almost impossible to miss. And as the throwers also jumped through the door... They got handholds on the same wall with the enemy, shooting at a deadly angle so that the salamanders couldn't figure out whether to shoot at the shield pairs slaughtering them from above, or the throwers shooting at them from their own level. By the time Ender himself came through the door, the battle was over. It hadn't taken a full minute from the time the first dragon passed through the door until the shooting stopped. Dragon had lost twenty frozen or disabled and only twelve boys were undamaged. It was their worst score yet, but they had won. When Major Anderson came out and gave Ender the hook, Ender could not contain his anger. I thought you were going to put us against an army that could match us in a fair fight. Congratulations on the victory, Commander. Bean, shouted Ender. If you had commanded Salamander Army, what would you have done? Bean, disabled but not completely frozen, called out from where he drifted near the enemy door. Keep a shift and pattern of movement going in front of the door. You never hold still when the enemy knows exactly where you are. As long as you're cheating, Ender said to Anderson, why don't you train the other army to cheat intelligently? I suggest that you remobilize your army, said Anderson. Ender pressed the buttons to thaw both armies at once. Dragon army dismissed, he shouted immediately. There would be no elaborate formation to accept the surrender of the other army. This had not been a fair fight. Even though they had won, the teachers had meant them to lose, and it was only Bonzo's ineptitude that had saved them. There was no glory in that. Only as Ender himself was leaving the battle room did he realize that Bonzo would not realize that Ender was angry at the teachers. Spanish honor, 
Bonesaw would only know that he had been defeated even when the odds were stacked in his favor. That Ender had the youngest child in his army publicly state what Bonesaw should have done to win, and that Ender had not even stayed to receive Bonesaw's dignified surrender. If Bonesaw had not already hated Ender, he would surely have begun, and hating him as he did, this would surely turn his rage murderous. Bonesaw was the last person to strike me, thought Ender. I'm sure he's not forgotten it. Nor had he forgotten the bloody affair in the battle room when the older boys tried to break up Ender's practice session. Nor had many others. They were hungry for blood then. Bonzo will be thirsting for it now. Ender toyed with the idea of taking advanced personal defense. But with battles now possible not only every day, but twice in the same day, Ender knew he could not spare the time. I'll have to take my chances. The teachers got me into this. They can keep me safe. Bean flopped down on his bunk in utter exhaustion. Half the boys in the barracks were already asleep, and it was still fifteen minutes before lights out. Wearily, he pulled his desk from its locker and signed on. There was a test tomorrow in geometry, and Bean was woefully unprepared. He could always reason things out if he had enough time and he had read Euclid when he was five, but the test had a time limit, so there wouldn't be a chance to think. He had to know, and he didn't know, and he would probably do badly on the test. But they had won twice today, so he felt good. As soon as he signed on, however, all thoughts of geometry were banished. A message paraded around the desk. See me at once, Ender. The time was 2150, only ten minutes before lights out. How long ago had Ender sent it? Still, he'd better not ignore it. There might be another battle in the morning. The thought made him weary, and whatever Ender wanted to talk to him about, there wouldn't be time then. So, Bean rolled off the bunk and walked emptily through the corridor to Ender's room. He knocked. Come in, said Ender. I just saw your message. Fine, said Ender. It's near lights out. I'll help you find your way in the dark. I just didn't know if you knew what time it was. I always know what time it is. Bean sighed inwardly. It never failed. Whenever he had any conversation with Ender, it turned into an argument. Bean hated it. He recognized Ender's genius and honored him for it. Why couldn't Ender ever see anything good in him? Remember four weeks ago, Bean? When you told me to make you a tune leader? Eh. Hey. I've made five tune leaders and five assistants since then, and none of them was you. Ender raised his eyebrows. Was I right? Yes, sir. So tell me how you've done in these eight battles. Well, today was the first time they disabled me, but the computer listed me as getting eleven hits before I had to stop. I never had less than five hits in a battle. I've also completed every assignment I've been given. Why did they make you a soldier so young, Bean? No younger than you were. But why? I don't know. Yes, you do. And so do I. Well, I've tried to guess, but they're all just guesses. You're very good. They knew that and they pushed you ahead. Tell me why, Bean. Because they need us, that's why. Bean sat down on the floor and stared at Ender's feet. Because they need somebody to beat the buggers. That's the only thing they care about. It's important that you know that, Bean, because most boys in this school think the game is important for itself, but it isn't. It's only important because it helps them find kids who might grow up to be real commanders in the real war. But as for the game, screw that. That's what they're doing, screwing up the game. That's funny. I thought they were just doing it to us. A game nine weeks earlier than it should have come. A game every day. And now, two games in the same day. Bean, I don't know what the teachers are doing, but my army is getting tired, and I'm getting tired, and they don't care at all about the rules of the game. I've pulled the old charts up from the computer. No one has ever destroyed so many enemies and kept so many of his own soldiers whole in the history of the game. Well, you're the best, Ender. Ender shook his head. Maybe. But it was no accident that I got the soldiers I got. Launchies, rejects from other armies, 
but put them together and my worst soldier could be a toon leader in another army. They've loaded things my way, but now they're loading it all against me. Bean, they want to break us down. They can't break you. You'd be surprised. Ender breathed sharply, suddenly, as if there were a stab of pain, or he had to catch a sudden breath in a wind. Bean looked at him and realized that the impossible was happening. Far from baiting him, Ender Wigan was actually confiding in him. Not much, but a little. Ender was human and Bean had been allowed to see. Maybe you'll be surprised, said Bean. There's a limit to how many clever new ideas I can come up with every day. Somebody's going to come up with something to throw at me that I haven't thought of before and I won't be ready. What's the worst that could happen? So you lose one game. Yes, that's the worst that could happen. I can't lose any games because if I lose any... He didn't explain himself and Bean didn't ask. I need you to be clever, Bean. I need you to think of solutions to problems we haven't seen yet. I want you to try things that no one has ever tried because they're absolutely stupid. Why me? Because even though there are some better soldiers than you in Dragon Army, not many, but some, there's nobody who can think better and faster than you. Bean said nothing. They both knew it was true. Ender showed him his desk. On it were twelve names, two or three from each tune. Choose five of these, said Ender. One from each tune. They're a special squad, and you'll train them. Only during the extra practice sessions. Talk to me about what you're training them to do. Don't spend too long on any one thing. Most of the time, you and your squad will be part of the whole army. Part of your regular tunes. But when I need you? When there's something to be done that only you can do? These are all new, said Bean. No veterans. After last week, Bean... All our soldiers are veterans. Don't you realize that on the individual soldier standings, all 40 of our soldiers are in the top 50, that you have to go down 17 places to find a soldier who isn't a dragon? Well, uh, what if I can't think of anything? Then I was wrong about you. Bean grinned. <laughs> you weren't wrong. The lights went out. Can you find your way back, Bean? Probably not. Then stay here. If you listen very carefully, you can hear the good fairy come in the night and leave our assignment for tomorrow. They won't give us another battle tomorrow, will they? Ender didn't answer. Bean heard him climb into bed. He got up from the floor and did likewise. He thought of a half dozen ideas before he went to sleep. Ender would be pleased. Every one of them was stupid. <laughs>